This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. Well, my name's uh, Pete Woodcock. I'm one of the uh, elders at the church here. We've been going through uh, Matthew's Gospel and we are continuing to go through Matthew's Gospel uh, looking at the parables. We're not doing the whole of Matthew's Gospel, we're just sort of uh, uh, sticking at, at, at the parables, and uh, we're at this one. Let me pray. Father, help us now, please, to hear your word, um, uh, that we would understand what you're saying and live in the light of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, have a think about this scenario. The preacher concludes his powerful sermon on love and forgiveness. But he concludes it with the question to the congregation, have you understood? Do you understand what I've been preaching about? We must love and forgive each other, says the preacher. The Lord wants us to bear with each other and be slow to anger. Do you understand? Have you understood? And the hearers all nod. They've got it. They understand. He doesn't need to labour the point anymore. They've, they've got it. They know what he's saying. So he announces the last hymn, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. And that hymn reinforces the truths that they've heard in the sermon as they speak them out from their heart in, into song, as we've just been hearing what songs do. It reinforces the truths that the preacher has been preaching. And then after the service, Vera meets the preacher at the door on the way out. Thanks, Pastor. Wow, that was a challenging sermon. I guess putting it into practice is going to be the hard thing to work out, isn't it? Sorry, sorry Pastor. What, what is he doing? I've, I've told him not to do the chairs like that. Actually, that really annoys me because he doesn't actually listen, does he? That's the problem with him, isn't it? I'll tell you what, I'm going to get out of here before I explode. I'll write him an email, don't worry, I'll sort this out. Why he does that, I don't know. Did Vera understand the sermon? Did she understand it? Next, John. Great sermon, Pastor. It's what the world needs. Forgiveness, love, look what's going on around the world. And, and it gives the, the church a chance to offer the world love and forgiveness and for it to be seen. Thank you. Thank you, John. How's your, your neighbour, Fred, getting on? Um, well, the whole thing's still rumbling on, to be quite honest. It's getting on my nerves. I mean, it's disgusting what he did to my tree. I tell you what, if that tree dies, I'll never forgive him. <laughs> did John understand the sermon? Sorry, this makes me laugh myself. Did John understand the sermon? Did Vera understand the sermon? Have you ever been a John and a Vera? <laughs> well, in this passage, 
we find Jesus has finished his sermon. It's a magnificent thing, uh, the whole of chapter 13. He's told seven parables, seven stories, four in public and then uh, three in private to his disciples. And then he turns to them and he asks, as any good preacher should, verse 51, have you understood these things? Have you understood these things? Yes, they reply. That's my first point. Have you understood? Have you understood all these things? Now, the word understood literally means to, to bring together, actually to send together. It's almost as if you've got different pieces all over the place and you send them together. It's a bit like doing a jigsaw puzzle where you've got you know, little bits all over the place and you bring them and you send them together to join up. That's what the word uh, understood means there. It's the ability to take concepts and see the relationships between them and put them together. It's knowing how to use what you've heard and it's applying it to your life and your life circumstance. It's not just knowing in theory, it's practice, it's life. That's what the word under, understands means. In fact, in verse 14 of chapter 13, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah, you can see it there, and he tells people what the opposite to understanding is. So look at verse 14. Uh, in, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, in these people that I actually don't understand. Then he says, you will uh, be ever hearing, but never understanding. It's the same word. You'll be ever hearing, but never being able to bring everything together and live it out. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. He's saying that type of hearing is not understanding, and it will, it's extremely dangerous. It's really dangerous to hear the word of God and not understand, not put it into practice, not apply it to your life. Your, your, your hearts become callous if you hear like that, he's saying. It's very, very dangerous. So Jesus doesn't just want hearers, he wants understanders. And the immediate application are these parables that Jesus has spoken. Um, and if you listen to them on one level, they're sort of quaint sort of common scenes from ancient Galilee. They're sort of quaint little stories about fish and, and seed and stuff like that. And so if you just hear the stories Jesus say, and what a wonderful storyteller he is, if you just hear on that level, you're not understanding. But then there's another level, and that's, well, no, I know they're not just nice stories. I think I know what they mean, but you don't put them into practice. That's another level of not understanding. Jesus wants us to pause when we hear the word of God and take a good look at ourselves and a good look at our spiritual condition and put it into practice, apply it to our lives. Has the gospel seed been planted in the soil of my heart so that it produces more wheat, more fruit? Has the gospel so worked in my life that it can be distinguished I can be distinguished as a child of God. I'm not a weed. I'm actually wheat. And you can see the difference. 
Has the gospel so worked in my life that you can see that there's a tree growing in me, like a tiny seed, but it's grown. And as I get older, it grows so that actually it gives life to the birds of the air. Has the gospel so affected every area of my life that it's like yeast in a dough? Every area of my life is being affected by the gospel. Do I value Jesus and the gospel more than I value the world? A man finds a treasure in a field. A man finds a pearl of great price, gives up everything for it. Do I realize that life is heading for a judgment day where there'll be a separation of the fish? Am I living in the light of that? And so Jesus is pushing his disciples. Have you understood, he says to his congregation. They're not just little stories. They're not little bits of doctrine that you can play with and argue about. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternity. It's a matter of heaven and hell we're talking about here. Are you applying it? Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked. Yes, they reply. Yeah. Yeah, they reply. So he takes their yes. And then he says, well, okay, if you've understood all these things, then something must happen. Something will result. Something will come of it. If you've understood, there's going to be an effect. If you've understood and you've brought these things together and you've pieced them together in your life, then you'll be like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. That's what you're going to be like. That's the, the effect, the ultimate effect of hearing and understanding the, teacher of, uh, the teachings of Jesus. What will happen is, if you've really understood, you're going to be like a householder that has treasure. yeah, And you're going to be a great and generous blessing to others. If you've understood the word of God, it's going to affect you and it will affect other people because the ultimate result is you're going to be like someone who has a treasure, but you're giving the treasure away. See, what should have been the result from uh, the sermon on love with Vera? What treasure should she have brought out if she'd really understood it? It's... Oh, he's doing the chairs wrong again. Yeah, okay, look. Oh, God, I'll just go and help him. Hey, come on. Hey, no, you know, we did talk about not putting it that way because they're going to do damage. Can I help you? That is a treasure coming out of her heart, isn't it? What about John? Do you know what, Pastor? I'm going to give up on this argument about the tree. I mean, it's only a tree, isn't it? Let's be honest. I'm going to just let, let, let it go. That would be a treasure coming out of his heart, wouldn't it? If he understood. Now, we'll get to the householder, uh, uh, the, the owner of the house, in, in a minute. But Jesus gives a number of other descriptions of a real understander before we get there. And the first one is this teacher of the law. Did you notice that? The teacher of the law. Uh, some translations will have scribe, which is probably better. So it says in verse 52... He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law or every scribe 
who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So the word teacher of the law is the word scribe. Scribe is the word. Teacher of the law is a description of what what they actually should be doing. Now, to find out what they are, you've got to go right back to the Old Testament. Actually, the original, original scribes were basically people that um, wrote down the histories, and and particularly the military histories of of Israel. But actually, this this particular group of scribes, uh, they're a group of teachers that that came together really under the leadership of Ezra. So you've got a whole book in the Old Testament called Ezra. And their purpose really was not just to preserve the Word of God, the law of God, but was to study it, teach it, and apply it to people. In fact, Ezra was a great example of what a scribe should be. Ezra, is there something we need to do? No, okay. Um, So Ezra is, is, is a great example because... Uh, he, he made a, a, a pulpit out of wood, this sort of thing. Uh, I guess it was coffin-shaped like this, because Christians always have every bit of furniture like a coffin. I don't know why. Well, I do, just to remind everyone of death. Um, uh, but uh, it, was a, it was a wooden structure, and from it he read the law. Uh, he gave the meaning of what that law is, what the Word of God was. He explained it, and this is how to live. And then he broke people up into groups, big crowds into groups, where he had trained up people who to discuss it and how to apply it to their lives. So he was a great thing. And from there, there was this great Bible movement of scribes. And that's what they did. They read the scriptures. How do we apply it today? And then they taught it to the people. But over the years, those scribes seemed to be obsessed with not bringing the pieces together to see the whole glory of God and the love of God and love for other people, they started sort of picking on one single piece and not connecting it together. So they they actually didn't understand the law because they were looking at the letter of the law, a single piece, and examining that. And then it it became really ugly as they were sort of arguing the letter of the law. And then they added their own interpretations and man-made laws to their little piece of the law until you got further and further away from what God said. And it was just the traditions of men, largely. That's what religion does. They became religious. So instead of sharing God's word and how it affects us every day, they had this unrealistic, warped uh, idea of the word of God. It was like traditions embalmed. They're dead, but they were pretending they were alive. And it stopped people hearing the word of God. And by the time of Matthew's gospel, these scribes were actually opposed to the word of God when they saw him in Jesus. They were opposed to him and eventually had him executed. And Jesus, in fact, calls these scribes blind guides. In Matthew 23, here's a description. This is what Jesus says when he sees these scribes. Woe to you, teachers of the law. And Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You've so warped the word of God into your own traditions and your own ideas. You've so added to the word of God. You've so picked on the minuscule piece and not brought pieces together 
and made it the letter of the law, you actually are taking people to hell. You're going to hell yourself and you're taking people to hell. You're not listening. It looks like you're listening. It looks like you're studying, but you're not. And so here Jesus is making new scribes. He's going right back to the beginning. He's saying, if you've understood me, if you've understood my sayings, then you are the new real scribes. Jesus has been instructing and training scribes in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven. So that's the first word, scribes. The next word is disciple. Did you see it? Verse 52 again. He said to them, Therefore every teacher of the law, scribe, who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures and old. So scribe emphasizes the learning, the knowledge, but a disciple emphasizes the living. Disciples are doers of the word that they learn, and they learn by doing. Now, we can sometimes emphasize learning at the expense of living, or we can emphasize living at the expense of learning. What Jesus is saying is that every scribe must be a disciple, and every disciple must be a scribe. It's living. You've got to live it. You're not understood unless you're a scribe and a disciple. When Jesus called the twelve to himself to be his twelve apostles, his twelve disciples, it says this, listen to this. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be, listen, with him. They might be with him and he might send them out to preach. They might be with him. It's really important. We need to be with Jesus. So that's what a disciple is, someone who's with him. If you look at Jesus' training model, it's, it's absolutely brilliant, and it was absolutely you know, radical. Jesus' training model was, be with me. Be with me, watch me, hear me. Spend time with me, live with me. Yeah? See me deal with opposition, see me deal with issues. See me live. Be with me. That's what a disciple is. You need to be with Jesus. Yeah? Then, then his training model went, um, listen to me. So be with me. Listen to me. I will teach you. And keep asking questions so that I can teach you. Be with me. Listen to me. Watch me. Then have a go. Go on, have a go. Go off and preach. Go and have a go. Then come back, download, and we'll feedback. That was the life of a disciple. You see that? We need to be scribes and disciples. The ESV, the whatever, what does ESV stand for? English Standard Version. Um, uh, puts it this 52 this way. Let me just read it, and some of you got it. Um, and he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house. So every scribe who's been trained for... So that's the discipleship word. The discipleship word is the training word, but it's the training in life. So we need to be scribes 
uh, both in word and life, both in knowledge and living. That's, that's what's going on here. Instructed in how to put the two together, your knowledge, what you learn, and how to live. Instructed in how to understand living out the kingdom of heaven on this earth. That's what he's saying. So both learning and living, it's life and lip. It's knowledge and action. They go together. And that's what an understanding is. It's piecing these things together so that you know, ah, I understand that. Now I need to put that into practice. Exactly what Vera and John didn't do. So every scribe must be a disciple and every disciple must be a a scribe. No one could become a scribe of Jesus unless they were first with him. Unless they walked with him and talked with him and prayed to him and understood him. So those who teach must first be taught. And those who are going to disciple must first be disciples. That's Jesus' way of doing it. Now all that leads to my fourth point, which is the owner of the house. This owner of the house, this householder as some put it. Or as the ESV talks about it as the master of a house. So what is this owner of the house? Well, he is the master of the house. In fact, that word master is despot. (laughs) You know, despot has got a very negative term, isn't it? He's a despot. Um, But it means utter, utter control, utter authority. So he's the master. He, He has utter, supreme authority in the household. Jesus uses this word owner of the house or householder 12 times in the gospel and seven are about him. He's the owner of the house. He's the householder. He's the master of the house. So it marks authority. So these disciples, to be true scribes with the authoritative uh, interpretation of the kingdom of heaven, they also have to be masters of the house. You're going to be a true scribe and a true disciple. The result is that you'll be a master of the house. And the master of the house, it's, it's a sort of fairly easy picture, really. Uh, responsible for the welfare of the household, the whole family. He's the head of the house, the master of the house. But he's responsible for the we- welfare. So he would have supplies, uh, a good master. He would have food and clothing and he'd be prepared for winter and for summer and for drought. And, and so, he, in other words, you know, he's prepared. He's got provisions. That's the picture of the master of the household. He has a storeroom. He has a treasury that he can draw from. In whatever circumstances are going to come up with the people of the household, he's able to draw out old and new stuff that's uh, important at the time. Oh, we need, some, we need to get that old gear out because that's going to be helpful for this situation, because there's a storm coming. Or we need to get this new stuff out, because, because there's, there's wild dogs coming. Let's get that up here. Or there's food, old and new. And, and that's what it is. So he brings out of the, store, the storeroom. Now, the Greek word for bringing out means scatter. It's actually lavish. It's, he's not stingy with his treasure, He's lavish, he's casting it out, he's, he's throwing it out. It often has the idea of force when you bring out. He's forcefully throwing it out. You know, he's making sure, you, know, you need to eat this. You know, you, you, need, you need to take this, you may not want it, but I'm going to make sure, you sit down and eat it. 
See, that's what, that's what masters of the household do, isn't it? You need to sit and eat that because you won't get better until you take that. So that, that's the sort of thing that's going on here. It's, it, there's force in it, but it's not, it's not unloving. It's not brutal. It's authoritative, lavish, loving, scattering of his wealth to the household that needs whatever it needs. He knows the household. He knows what it needs. That's what's going on here. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, as you may know, treasure is, is nearly always, if not always, associated with the heart. So out of the treasure, out of his storeroom, he's talking about the heart. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, we had the story, didn't we, of the man that finds treasure in the field and the man that finds the pearl of great price. And he sells everything. Why? Because his heart is in the field, to buy the field, to buy the, to buy the, the, the uh, pearl. Because his heart is there. That's where his heart is. It's not in all of the stuff that he's got anymore. He'll frog that to get the field because that's where his treasure is. And so the disciple scribe or the describe or the scribe disciple, is bringing things out of his heart, out of his heart understanding, and he's giving it away, what he's learnt. Spurgeon, great preacher, you know, often just gets everything right, doesn't he? He just puts his finger on everything. He says, you seldom learn much to your own profit unless you are diligent in imparting knowledge and edifying one another. Do you get that? You seldom learn much to your profit unless you are diligent in imparting knowledge and edifying others. Another. I, I think that's absolutely true. There's this sort of circular thing that's going on here, I think Jesus is telling us about. You're a scribe and a disciple because you've understood the teaching of Jesus, and that means you're putting it into practice. You put it into practice because you're a master of a house that gives away what you've learnt to the household. And as you give away what you've learnt, you're becoming more of a disciple and more of a, a scribe, and then you have more treasure, therefore, to give away. It's a circular whirlpool, or that's always sort of negative though, but it's, it's this whirlpool or this, this torrent of going around of blessing, blessing, blessing. You receive treasure, you give treasure, you receive more treasure because you've given treasure. The trouble with John and Vera is they stopped at the door, didn't they? They heard it, they understood, and they wouldn't give. They wouldn't give love. They wouldn't forgive forgiveness. So they go down the road as non-scribes, non-disciples, and non-householders, and they're just holding on to what they think they know and that they think they're better because they sat under a sermon, and their hearts are becoming callous and hard and ungenerous and unloving. That's what's going on. So like a master of a house who brings out his treasures, out of his treasure what is new and old, being able to put the new and the old together. Jesus, after the, after the resurrection, remember he was walking, if you, you don't know, he was walking uh, on the road to Emmaus and he picked up some disciples on the road. And what did he tell them? He went through 
the whole of the Old Testament, we call it, all of the scriptures, and he said, they're all about me. When you look at the old, you'll see the new. <laughs> Jesus is old and new treasure. He's the fulfillment of the old in ever new ways. The master brings out new and the old, old truths that may be you know, well known, but brought out with fresh freshness and taught in fresh ways. Something that is old sometimes is just what you need to comfort pers- a person, isn't it? An old truth, you just need to remind, you know, you know this, you know this. Can I just remind you of this? And it's like fresh new stuff. In that situation, putting together the old and the new. Sometimes you need a a new taste. And then you say, well, it's actually very old. Fresh, new experiences of God's grace through the old scriptures. A fresh, new understanding of old truths reapplied. Yeah, I knew that, but I just needed that reapplied to me. So there's all the stuff that Jesus has taught us. Here's my fifth point then. It's from the first understanders, which were the disciples, the apostles, to us. Let's just apply it a bit here. First of all, the apostles, the 12 that heard. I'm not going into Judas and that stuff. He was obviously a non-understander. But let's just see what happens here. So under the instruction of Jesus, these these apostles are becoming genuine learned scribes. They're the true disciples of the kingdom of heaven and they are to become the head of a household with old and new, new and old treasure in it. And, that, and that's what the tw- 12 disciples are. They were taught directly by Jesus They were taught the new and they were taught the old and they were fitted those two things together uh, and they became scribes. So we have the apostles' teaching here in the New Testament. This is the apostles. These are the words of Jesus. The apostle John, when he speaks, he's speaking the words of Jesus. He heard Jesus. Matthew writing down the words of Jesus. These are the, these are the, the ones that write it down. So, so they're passed on to the church. So we, we don't, the church doesn't make up the gospel. The church doesn't make up traditions. Well, it shouldn't do. It's not traditions that get in the way. It's the word of God. We don't have to sort of think, what do I say to this age? How, how, we, we, we take the apostolic words, the words of the scribes and the first disciples who wrote this down, who understood by the power of the Holy Spirit, who actually gave themselves so that most of them were killed in extraordinarily painful ways in order to get the word of God out to people. We have that in the Scriptures This is the word, old and new. This is the ever-refreshing word of God. We have this. This is the word passed down to us. We don't need to make up words. I don't sit at home with Tom and say, Tom, what are we going to make up today? 
Uh, Tom might do that, but I don't. Um, we don't sit down and say, well, we, we just go through the Bible. It's the word of the scribes, the original ones. So we can be confident we're hearing the word of Jesus. But then you go to the elders and the preachers in, in, in the church. That's the second group of people. We go from the first understanders to us. And you've got the elders in the church. And in 1 Timothy, we saw when we were preaching through 1 Timothy, that the elders are to look after the household of God. How do you look after the household of God? By bringing out treasure new and old. Where's that? In the apostles' word. Applying it. Making sure that the people in the household are understanding it. Pleading with Johns and Veras. Would you listen? Yeah, because you haven't heard. You see what you've just done. We bring out the apostolic word. We bring out the scribe's word, the disciple's word. And hopefully, that's the authoritative word in, in, uh, in the church. It's not my word. It's not Tom's word. It's not the elder's word. The elders are, are, are bringing out the very word of God, the treasure that's hopefully in their own heart, because they hopefully have been disciples of Jesus and they're scribes of, of the inscripturated word. We sit under the word and we bring the word out in an authoritative way, new and old, new and old. We're trying to deliver that so that the people in the household will understand. And so that brings us to all of us here. What do we do? What do we learn from this? Well, we're, we're, we believe the New Testament. We believe the Old Testament. We, we should be scribes. We should be students in our own way. We sit at the feet of Jesus when we listen to the Word of God. That's what you're doing right now through a sermon. Someone who's an elder in a church who's trying to take the Word of God and give you new and old stuff and try to apply it to your own heart. This is what we do. It's one of the joys of being a Christian is that we're always learning. We're always learning new stuff from the old. We're constantly doing that. It's always new and it's fresh and it's alive. And it hits, I mean, who thought this little, who's ever heard this little parable before? Yeah? I mean, my immediate thought when I saw it was, that's classic Tom, that is. Uh, and I think Ben was in, uh, around and Rory. Let's give Pete... That nasty little thing that no one knows, no one writes about. Even one commentary I've got at home says, no one really knows what this is about. Don Carson has 15 ideas. Read him. Well, I didn't have him, you know. So thank you, commentary. But it's like, what is this? And then suddenly you read it, and it's full of life. And, hey, this is how we should live. This is... These are the most important texts in the entire Bible. You come to the point of uh, when, you're, when you're reading it in the end. It's, it's, that's the whole idea. We work through the Bible. We see this stuff. Never thought about it before. But actually, look at it. It's wonderful. And we're to be people that study the Word of God and be disciples so that we're with Jesus when we hear His Word, so that we're understanding it and it's, it's actually coming into our heart so that we know it comes into our heart because we want to bless others with it. We want to tell others. We want to communicate to others. 
We want to tell them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Know what it is to to be in the family of God, in the household of God. We want to scatter the seed out. That's what learning is. When you learn something and you love something, you can't shut up about it, can you? That's what praise is. It comes out of our mouths. Because we know it in our heart. I'm forgiven. I've been loved. I've screwed up. But actually, Jesus has come into this world to make me a scribe, a disciple, and a house owner. So that I can, out of the treasures of the things I've learned, I can spread them out to other people. And learn to love and learn to take the, the word of God to people. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Even this tiny little thing, we see the word of God. So, might stand at the door, actually. <laughs> I might shake your hand, and I'll be listening. Nice, nice sermon, preacher. I'm going to kill my neighbor when I get home. <laughs> Who scratched my car out there? Yeah? Why does he do the chairs like that? How are we doing? How are we doing? Let's spend a moment perusing and thinking about how we're doing. Are we hearers or understanders? Let's ask the Lord to help us to be more understanders. And then we will share from our treasure. Let's have a moment of quiet. We're coming to the Lord's table. It's an opportunity for us to remember the amazing things that he has done for us, the bread of life, shed his blood for us, an opportunity for us to remember what he's done for us and ask that that would be so planted in our hearts that we would be lovers of other people and give our lives for other people. Let's have a moment of quiet. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's the true scribe. He's the very word of God. Thank you that he obeyed you like a disciple. He was completed in his perfection by suffering for us. Thank you that out of his heart came treasure. He is the great householder that gives, gives the Holy Spirit, gives the very word of God, gives us the breath of life, the light of the world, the bread of life, his own blood. We thank you for this, these emblems of bread broken for us that we may eat, that we may learn, and we may be disciples and scribes ourselves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his blood shed for us to cleanse us from our sins and our hypocrisies and our selfishness and our pretense. We thank you for the power in the blood of Christ that's shed for us. And what we do here is to drink that blood of the new covenant 
that we're made new in Christ, forgiven our sins, cleansed. We thank you for the body and the blood of Christ. And as we take this, cause us to be people that really do ingest it. That don't just take it out of habit. Don't just put it in our mouths and swallow it. But realize that we are becoming part of the blood and the, uh, uh, of the body of Christ and that we should be people that are are forgiving and loving and sharing and giving our lives as Christ has given his. Help us as we take this, please, to repent, to renew ourselves, and by your Spirit, be people that take out treasure that we've learnt in our own hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.